0: Greetings, and welcome to Scholarish, a podcast in which we discuss the road to reason for the next generation. I'm your host, Quinn Weinzaffel. I've had the privilege recently of having an above average amount of conversations regarding my faith with uh, coworkers and colleagues in the workplace, uh, close friends, uh, family, uh, and uh, just those who live around me. I've been very blessed to have this conversation as well as my wife, she repeatedly and I have talked about uh, sharing our faith in different contexts, and the troubles and trials that come alongside with it. The conversation about apologetics is often hard to quantify. Sure, there are different types and different ways, arguments, some simple, some more complex, uh, but the structure and and function of uh, conversations about our faith kind of elude us in many ways, which is what has encouraged me to create this episode. You see, I believe that good, well-rounded apologetics conversations function like dinner parties. And that's what I want to talk about today. So, Without further ado, having an apologetics conversation is like hosting a dinner party. You have to have a reason for the event. And the question when it comes to sharing your faith is Does the person I'm speaking with need the gospel? Well, the answer is always yes. You don't even have to ask them if they're a believer or not. If the opportunity presents itself to talk about Christ, talk about Christ. The second question that we often uh, are faced with is, am I called to host such a conversation? I see a lot of Christians nowadays want to default, uh, say that you know their pastor, uh, another Christian, maybe someone with more authority or influence in their life is called to, to share the good news with them. To which I say that is not what scripture says. 1 Peter 3.15 makes it clear, but in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord. Uh, Lord, as holy, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. This is a call to all, not just to those in positions of influence or privilege, but to every Christian to speak about Christ and what he has done in all times and in all seasons. The second question you have to ask when hosting a dinner party, and again, just like a conversation about your faith, is, is this the correct time and place? There are times when it's not good to launch into an entire hour-long lecture about the gospel and the intricacies of the atonement. There's a lot of times in which you don't have the space, or the time, or the resources, or it's not the right environment to have a really short conversation either. You have the ability to have a longer one. So placing the correct conversation in the correct situation is rather important. Second Corinthians six, one and two say this uh, fairly well. When Paul uh, remarks, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Now behold, it is a favorable time. Go now. It is the day of salvation. So it's always a good time to share the gospel. We just need to make sure that we're having the correct conversation over the correct size meal. And lastly, uh, when you're getting a sense of scale and setting, the question then arises, how must I present the gospel? And that's what we're going to be talking about for the majority of this time. The first comes for preparation. Meals must be prepared beforehand. That's simply how cooking works. Uh, A chef's work begins over the fire in the same way that a student of theology must first prepare and study scripture before entering a conversation about the faith. This is not to say that you require um, actual doctorates in theology to have a conversation. All Christians are equipped to have a conversation about Christ because we all hold scripture and because we all hold the Holy Spirit. So because of these two things, scripture and the spirit, we are trained and equipped to do the work of the Lord. However, I will also add here, don't just rely on uh, the seat of your pants to get you through a tough conversation. This is like the student who shows up late to his test and sits down and prays, Lord, give me the answers, even though I haven't studied. The Lord rewards those who work heartily for him. We see this in the parable of the talents. So the study of scripture, theological training, and understanding of church history and doctrinal clarity is beneficial, especially when it comes to the saving of souls. Another part of preparation is that all of your placements must be acknowledged and set forth. What I mean by this is that anyone who you're speaking with, whether it be one-on-one or to a group of 10 people, or maybe in a larger setting in which you're speaking to an entire classroom, or maybe you are at a crusade and speaking to hundreds Don't let any guests go unaccounted for. Don't forget anybody present. To be in a group of 10 or five and to speak to only one leaves out the four others and potentially their soul. Don't do that. If you're speaking to 10, evangelize to 10. Share the gospel with 10. The second is that all necessary cutlery must be present for the meal. Many times when we are serving someone dense theology, we're not also training them and equipping them on how to eat it. Terms are forks and knives to people. They allow you to place pegs and hold things upon them uh, in an ideas sense or conceptual sense. So don't just tell someone this is Christ's atonement without explaining what the atonement is. That way, they can always ingest what the scripture is saying. And the Spirit will assist with this. Now, here's a couple notes about the meal that I think everyone needs to understand when they get into a conversation about their faith. The first is that the meal must look both appetizing and nutritious unless it goes uneaten. There's a bunch of different ways that this this appears in in, in normal uh, evangelical circles. The first is that it's foolish to serve your guests only kale or only desserts. And it's pretty obvious the illusion I'm making here, which is to those who speak only of the wrath of God or only of the grace of God. It's inefficient and ineffective, and it's not the totality of scripture. So it's not going to satiate the hunger that someone feels in their soul. You need both. You need to start with the wrath of God and end with the grace of God. Secondly, the meal must not be overly heavy or overly light. Imagine serving a guest at a dinner party who's come all the way, uh, a long distance to eat with you, a single pea, and then calling it a meal. They're going to leave hungry. Many ways, if you just walked up to someone and said, Jesus loves you. Well, you haven't actually explained how Jesus loves you. And that's a a really sad moment when you've left uh, an individual who's in a spiritually dead state, completely starving for spiritual life and nutrition. That's withholding scripture from them. And the beauty of the gospel is that nothing is withheld from us, that we can come to the throne of grace uh, in all sincerity and in all boldness because of what Christ has done on the cross. We need to communicate that in its entirety. The second is that, and this is a problem with many seminary students, is imagine serving an entire roasted pig to to a guest and then being offended when they, they can't eat it all. It's, it's not good with a, a non-believer to go into the depths and intricacies of ecumenical practices and, and the different viewpoints on, on, on any number of doctrines. The gospel is beauty because it is, it is at its core a simple truth that God, uh, not willing that any should perish, sent his son to die for us. And we know this is true because he raised from the dead. The last thing I would say about the presentation of a meal is that it should be served in portions. Steak goes in serving plates. Salad goes in salad bowls. What I mean by this is we don't want to mix up the conversation or pull a fast one on people. We don't want to start talking about one thing and then quickly jump to an next topic without giving them the ability to to devour or, or eat through what we're speaking about. You want to set everything in its proper place, give everyone the tools to eat it, and then let them work it through in their own time. There will be some that will object to eating the concept of the wrath of God, but will love the grace of God. And there will be others that object to the, the grace of God, but have no problems with the wrath of God. But to mix the two and just to throw it all at them at once is, is not a helpful place in an uh, apologetics conversation. The lastly, as I would say, the meal always goes in a certain order, and we don't serve desserts first. Too many times we want to start with grace. Grace is the result of Christ. We always begin with what Christ has done for the failure of humanity. And if we're going to do that, then we should start with humanity's total depraved, failed state, go to what Christ did on the cross, and then end with the grace of God that has now been given to us via Christ Jesus. The forgiveness of our sins is the dessert that comes after we've had the bitter taste of human depravity in our mouths. Now, a few notes to have after the conversation. The first is be humbly thankful for the work that you have just done. You've done a good thing in sharing your faith with another. You've just fed somebody's spiritual life. God has used you in a very unique way to influence and spread the gospel in a way that only those who are Christians can. So A, it's strengthening to our faith, and B, is planting the seeds of faith in others. And what's really amazing is if the Lord has is, is double-blessed you, you may be able to see that seed grow. And that's a very important and, and very um, humbling moment. The second point is I would say, listen to the feedback of those who you're talking to. Ask them, what have you thought of the things I'm telling you today? Will you think about these more? You know, it's not good to self-deprecate and say, like, well, you must think I'm crazy. But if this is the truth of reality, and it is because the grave is empty, we know that they're going to have responses. It's going to stir something in them. So listen as they can give you feedback. It might be something that you can talk further about with them later, and it might be something that you can internalize and go back and study for yourself so that you have more answers in the future. And number one, never leave a guest empty handed. Always try to give them a resource or something to turn to in scripture whether that be uh, a Bible or a tract, always try to have something on hand that they might be able to refer to you. If you don't, give them your number so that they have just some faithful Christian that they can call if they ever get it back. And then uh, lastly, when when you know the meal is over and the conversation is long past and you're lying in bed at night, um, remember to say a prayer for those who have departed your presence. Um, the Lord is speaking to them in a mighty way. And it is our job to pray for the lost and watch what the Lord will do in expanding his kingdom. Uh, Salvation is is thoroughly of the Lord's and not of man. And uh, it is our job to pray fervently for them. So, in all honesty, I am a terrible cook. But Like most I love cooking videos and the channel Epicureans has a wonderful series, which depicts chefs making the same dish at different levels of proficiency. They have a a home cook, a a amateur cook, and then a professional chef and they'll cook some meal at three different levels of complexity. And then they'll, they'll talk about uh, the differences between and the science of cooking. And it's a rather wonderful, um, thing to binge on YouTube. And in many ways, uh, when we have apologetics conversations, you too might be cooking at a different level. New Christians might not have really complex ways to share their faith, or maybe well drawn out or well read ways to share their faith. They might not have answers to every objection because they're new and still working them through themselves. So I want to work through the three levels or tiers of apologetics conversations. The first is uh, the home cook, and in many ways, this is our our quintessential one-verse evangelism, Romans 3.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, Many times there's a little card, or you can even draw this out on a blank piece of paper, or on the palm of your hand, or on a napkin anywhere. It's very, very simple, in which you write on the left side of the paper in descending order, the wages of sin death and then you put a big butt in the middle of the paper and you can even draw a cross and then on the right side you say the free gift of god eternal life and basically you're broaching humans fallen state with god's divine uh, reconciliation and redemption via the work of christ the second approach that is often very simplistic that i see many um people pick up in in their bible 101 courses in college is the romans road it's a very simple style where you work through several key verses of romans and it works really well if you have a bible in hand and you can um, turn to the page and then ask the the person you're talking with hey read this like what does this say what does that mean um, and then talk them through um what scripture is is getting at uh, it starts with romans three twenty three for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god and and to really break that down and ask them you know have you ever sinned have you fallen short of the glory of god if god looked at all of your life what would he see you know would he see a liar uh, would he see someone who harbors hate in their heart have you stolen anything um that's sin and you've fallen away um and that—that that, that sin in Romans three twenty-three, the next verse for the the sin is death, um, uh, Romans six twenty-three, and then uh, the love of God in Romans 5.8, eight. Uh, but God demonstrates His love towards us that we, while we were still sinners, and you can just turn to the individual you're talking with and saying like, and we've already established that that we are sinners. Uh, Christ has died for us in, in the courtroom of of heaven he has stood in our place and been our advocate and our intercessor before the throne of god and then um the second half of the verse but the gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord and then accepting this gift in romans 10 and 9 and 13 at 10 9 and 13 excuse me that if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your hearts that god raised him from the dead then you will be saved and verse 13 says, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the, the turning about of our ways to understand that we are sinners, to know that Christ stood in the gap, and then to be totally devoted to, to living a life in accordance with him. And to be reconciled to God comes when the heart has been transformed from the inside out via the spirit and via scripture and and in this we give the individual the ability to respond and come back and say like yes i know that i need jesus so that's a very simple uh, not to say it's any less effective, uh, not to say that it's it's lesser than of a model. It's just a really simplistic uh, way that you can train anybody and uh, from small children all the way up to the elderly. Everyone can learn this. It's very, very commonplace, and it's very, very effective pointing people to scripture, asking them what it says, and then giving them an opportunity to, to live a life in alignment based on what the, the spirit is doing in their soul. But there is another level of complexity, a uh, level two, which I would say is the presuppositional or evidential apologist. These are individuals who are combating lies uh, at a very high level. See, the devil is trying to obfuscate uh, the truth and men's hearts are always suppressing uh, God and his ways. We know this from Romans one. Uh, so there's lots of work to be done and in, in thoroughly explaining um, theology at both a presuppositional and then an evidential level. A few presuppositional apologetics to to follow would be Todd uh, Friel and James White, and a few evidential apologists would be uh, Ken Ham or Dr. Gary Habermas. Um, the difference between them is uh, a presuppositional apologetist will ask, uh, why do you believe what you believe? Well, as an evidential apologist will say something like, I believe this because, and then they'll insert an objective fact about reality. Um, for instance, Dr. Gary Habermas is the four leading expert on the the resurrection of Jesus Christ using, and, and his big point is he uses extra biblical sources to, to talk about the fact that Christ uh, has risen from the dead and his, his body is is gone and uh, the only explanation is that he was exactly who he said he was um, and that would be an evidential based approach of i know my faith is real because i have all of this evidence um, from all over that says uh, god is alive and well and he has come to seek and save the lost a presuppositional apologist will say kind of the same thing of, I know God is alive and well, and he has come to seek and save the lost. And I know this because I have reasoned to the point where I understand that if my my thoughts do not amplify who God is, then I'm living in idolatry. And uh, they will use different arguments to to undercut the um, uh, a lot of the, the op- oppositions to Christianity, which are normally some form of, of sin or, or derived ignorance. Um, a few verses that are really critical here that both will take is um second 2 Timothy 2, uh 2 Timothy 316, all scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuke, correction and training in righteousness. And John 1, 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And lastly, uh, I I have the the professional chef level. Now, there are no professional Christians. While there are some who who take payments from church, we don't see a professionalism in the pastoral ministry. But if we think about it in in kind of another sense, the chief apologist in your region is your local biblical pastor. So I would highly recommend if you're not going to a church which espouses scripture every week, uh, you find one and watch very closely to his sermon and afterwards ask him, pastor, what did the congregation need to hear? The response of a biblical pastor is almost some iteration of, uh, they needed to hear the word of God. Because the simple truth is this, in every sermon, there is scripture. In all of scripture, there is Christ in Christ, there is new life. So therefore, in every sermon, we preach new life. All believers may obtain this level of of heart cry to turn the lost's mind into the scriptures and to see them renewed via the Spirit into Christ. And this is the same thing that uh, Paul praises the Bereans for in Acts 17, 11. Now the Berean Jews were of most noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So you too may obtain the same heart cry of, of preaching. And, and the best way to do it is to turn the, the mind of those who, who you're speaking with onto scripture and to watch scripture Uh, work just uh, miraculous wonders in their life. Now, a few things about scripture uh, or or preaching that are very important, especially when it comes to evangelical conversations. The first is that uh, it never returns void. Isaiah 55, 10-11 says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields a seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes from my mouth, it will not return empty. This is another iteration um, of of. God saying very clearly, um, if I'm taking care of the flowers and the plants and the earth that it may produce fruit, how much more will I produce spiritual fruit in the hearts of those who hear uh, my word? The other thing we need to understand about um, apologetic conversations is that uh, you might not yield the fruit immediately. Paul uh, acknowledges this in 1 Corinthians 3.6. He says, I planted the seed Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Only God is the the chief agent in the salvation of man. We are merely vessels through which the spirit dwells and then falls out onto the non-believers. And we see this through all of scripture that while seeds may be scattered everywhere, only those whom God waters and cares for grow into full fruit. And it's here I I would share some personal anecdotes. I once shared the gospel with a devout atheist. He agreed with everything I said and left exactly the same as he entered. I once shared the gospel with a professing Christian. He disagreed with everything I said and came to saving faith in Christ weeks later. I once shared the gospel with a lukewarm Christian and I never spoke with him again. I once shared the gospel in my workplace. The Christian argued with me, and the atheist defended true theology. I once shared the gospel with a Jewish friend. She was baptized as a new believer the next week. The point? We do not share our faith because of its results. We share it because it is commanded of us. And again, I would reiterate 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts... Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So, in this way, um, I've oriented my my home at least to think of apologetics as hosting a dinner party one in which uh, we serve the good news of the gospel in the hopes that one day those who hear it might come to faith in christ and partake in the dinner party of the lamb in heaven for all of eternity with us thank you for listening to episode 8 of scholarish uh, and adventuring into apologetics with me